0: This is Climate One, changing the conversation about energy, economy, and the environment.
1: Tesla's effect has been much greater than the cars have made internally. It's what we induce other companies to do that will have a greater impact than the cars we make
0: ourselves. That's the co-founder and CEO of Tesla Motors, Elon Musk, a technology entrepreneur known for his ambitious thinking about big problems.
2: He's not really interested in individual people, but. When we would talk about Mars, when we would talk about the
0: climate, this is very strange, like, empathy for the human species. We'll hear from Musk biographer Ashley Vance, as well as tech reporter Peter Henderson, talking about Tesla's next big thing. If he's successful, you'll be getting average people going on
3: this ride, which he thinks will take you to a clean future.
0: Tesla. Impossible until it's not up next on Climate One. Is Tesla a car company, a technology company, or something altogether new? Welcome to Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. I'm Devin Strolovich. Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton. On today's show, underwritten by the Climate Works Foundation, we go inside the life and mind of Tesla co-founder and CEO Elon Musk. The eccentric entrepreneur is famous for doing the impossible, from landing a rocket on a floating platform to building a car company from scratch. He has proved his naysayers wrong so far. Underlying all of his insane, ambitious ventures is a deep commitment to moving from fossil fuels to a cleaner economy. Joining Greg later in the show is reporter Peter Henderson, who will talk about Tesla's make-or-break moment, delivery of its new sedan aimed at average American families. First, we hear from Musk biographer Ashley Vance about what makes Musk tick. Ashley is author of the best-selling book, Elon Musk, how the billionaire and CEO of SpaceX and Tesla is shaping our future. Like Musk, Ashley was born in South Africa, He's currently a reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek and previously worked for the New York Times and The Economist. Here's our conversation about Elon Musk and making the impossible happen at Tesla.
4: So Ashley, tell us about Elon Musk as a child. He wrote to you in an email that childhood was misery for him. What was his childhood like?
2: You know, the basics are that he was born in South Africa, in, in Pretoria, his father was a pretty well-to-do mechanical engineer, and, and his mom was, was a former model who who had become kind of a, a homemaker. And um, when Elon was growing up, you know, I mean, he he's kind of this loner off in the corner during school, who'd be reading his books and and kind of doing his his own thing. The the culture at the time was very in South Africa it was very athletic, and it was all about sports, and it was very macho, and and Elon was sort of the opposite of all this stuff, and so. He would either get left alone or he'd be picked on. He was bullied quite badly, especially around sort of eighth or ninth grade. At, at one point, he got kicked down a flight of stairs and pummeled after that. And he spent about a week in hospital as, mm-hmm. as a result from that. And then he's, he's kind of this outcast at school. He was not really liked. There were not kids who were coming Home with him, but his family was was very kind to him, um, except for his father. (laughs) who he had a very difficult relationship with as well. And so so I mean, you can kind of play armchair psychologist and see that this is a guy who wants to prove himself to the world and and show everyone that that he was the special guy.
4: And you had amazing access. You got you, inter- you had some email exchanges with his father. Uh, you talked to his you know members of his family. Uh, and so, tell us about the access that you had that other people haven't had, and how you got it.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I was not. There's, there's so many Elon Musk fanboys now. I was not an Elon Musk acolyte at all when I started this project in in 2012. He had sort of struck me as. This guy who was always promising the world—you know—he had had Tesla and SpaceX, but they never actually seemed to be getting anywhere. And and then in 2012, a lot of stuff changed. SpaceX docked—they had had a capsule dock with the International Space Station. Tesla came out with the Model S sedan. Solar City was filing to go public. And so I thought, you know, this guy who's, who's really... He's, he's hitting his stride. I mean, this guy who's been talking in this big game is delivering in a way that sort of nobody in history has. So I, I did a, a cover story on him for Business Week magazine. And I went to SpaceX. And I just couldn't believe that there was this rocket factory sitting in the middle of, of Los Angeles. And, and Elon was a much more interesting and sort of authentic guy than I had expected. And, and so I, I kind of got sucked in and decided to do this book. So after the, the cover story came out, you know, I, I told Elon my intentions to go do this book. And and he told me, no, he was not going to help me (laughs) at all. Uh, You know, he he said a few people had had asked him in the past and he'd turned them all down. And uh, so then I went to New York and I sold the book. And uh, (laughs) I thought that would sort of force Elon's hand. And and so I came back and had another meeting with him. And and he was pretty polite through this whole process. But we did that. and He's like, no, I'm not going to help you again. We had like an hour long meeting. And so you know i had this moment where i just decided to keep going anyway and so i spent about 18 months interviewing 200 or so people and elon was actually you know i thought he could be sort of adversarial but i would i started very far away people who had worked at tesla and quit and spacex who had quit and then i would get closer and closer in to elon's circle friends and i would get to the family and they would all go back to him and ask if if they should talk to me and uh, Elon told them all to go ahead and talk to me so that part um, kind of kept things going and then one day I was at my house it was about 18 months into the project and Elon Musk appeared on my color ID <laughs> and I picked up the phone and he said look I've had so many people call me about this freaking book. You know, I'm ready to let's let's talk about it. Here's my idea. I think you should let me read the book before it's published. And, and I'll put footnotes in it to correct everything that you've gotten wrong. And I was like, I was, you know, I've, I was like, at least we're sort of talking now. So so then we ended up having this big dinner where we hashed things out. And I said, look, you you know, as a journalist, you can't read the book before it's published, but I would really like you to to do interviews for it. And he agreed to I I had this big 45 minute speech and I was like five minutes into it. and He just goes, fine, I'll do it. (laughs) So you wore him down. Yeah. So he came he left
4: South Africa, came to Montreal in 1988, kind of escaping this unhappy, oppressive yeah. childhood, lands in Montreal looking for an uncle. This is
2: 1988 pre cell phone. So tell us how he, he lands there. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, you know, he's 17 years old. He, he more or less runs away from home. I mean, he told his parents what he was going to do and they told him we don't want you to go to Canada, uh, but he just left anyway. And uh, he was into technology as a kid. and he would always heard about Silicon Valley. And this was kind of his goal was to get to Silicon Valley, but he, he couldn't get to the United States really. And and half of his family has this Canadian heritage. And so he finds his way into Canada. He arrives with $100 in his pocket. Um, he had, a, like you mentioned, the uncle. He thought he was going to stay with this this guy, but during the time it took Elon to get to Canada, he had missed all these letters where the uncle had said, you know, I'm gone, I've gone on some vacation or something like that. And so Elon lands, he calls his mom, he's like, what am I supposed to do? She said, you know, can you find like a YMCA (laughs) or a hostel or something? And then he spends about a year just kind of backpacking through Canada. Um, He did have a ton of relatives there. He goes, to a cousin's farm where he's like tending the turnips and and doing all this stuff. He ends up working in like a a boiler maker where he he would have to go in and like scoop out all this steaming hot goop in a a hazmat suit. And and, uh, he kind of does that for about a year and then ends up getting into university.
4: Then he, so he gets he goes to Penn, comes to Silicon Valley, and the PayPal Mafia boss is a chapter in the book. And that really is the foundation of his wealth and power in Silicon yeah. Valley. So tell us him as the role of that PayPal Mafia boss.
2: Yeah, well, so he, he'd come to the Valley and he had had a startup beforehand called Zip2, and he had made a fair bit of money from it. Um, I think he, he came out of that with about $30 million. They sold the company for $300 million. He gets this $30 million, and I think it's this very Elon moment you know he buys a fancy car a mclaren and he kind of buys a slightly nicer apartment but that's kind of like two of the 30 million and then he takes all of the rest and pours it into his next company at a time when people were falling all over themselves to give him money but he he wanted to control everything and so um you know the the before paypal was paypal elon had this company called x.com and It was his vision. This is kind of uh, God, what year is this? 1998, 1999. And he has this vision of, you know, really the first world's first online bank where you would do your banking, you would have all your investments, you would you would do everything through this online system. And this is at a time when people, you know, aren't even really comfy using their credit cards Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to pay for things online and this company ends up becoming PayPal, and it's a very formative experience for Elon. It, both of his first two companies, you know, he was a guy who wanted to be CEO and wanted to be in control, but he was a terrible manager of people. He, he, you know, he had been this loner back in the day. He had never, like he says, been on a team. He had never really had to participate with people in anything. He was still a know-it-all, so he would be in these meetings and, and you know, he would lay into people where he, they would propose something. And then in front of the whole room of people, he would tell them all the reasons they were wrong in, in <laughs> very clear terms and really lay into them. And and so, you know, at zip 2 his first company and PayPal, he ends up getting thrown out as CEO. There's uh, even though he's the majority shareholder, there's essentially coups at both companies. To push him out and and so i think this has had a really lasting effect on him where you see with tesla and spacex that he will never relinquish control of the companies and and sort of allow this to happen again 2008 tesla has
4: gone public both of his companies are at the brink of death what happens
2: well it's amazing i mean it's the middle of the financial crisis You have real actual car companies that are going bankrupt. And here's this guy who has a electric car company that can barely make its cars. And he's asking for more money, like sort of makes no sense. He's got a rocket company that's had its first three rockets blow up. And and he has enough money left for one more rocket. That's it. So after Elon sold PayPal, he had about 300 million dollars. And in this moment, he's burned through Everything and so 2008 is coming to an end. Tesla is is absolutely going bankrupt There's people at the company um, The higher upper management. They're paying lower people's salaries out of their own their own pocket Elon's jet has been parked he's taking Southwest back and forth between Los Angeles and Silicon Valley between the two companies and so at Tesla it's around December Nobody is willing to put more money into the company. There is one investor who's looking to basically bankrupt the whole thing and sell it for parts and throw Elon out. So Elon threatens all the VCs that he's going to take a loan from SpaceX, which has never flown its rocket successfully yet. And he's going to take a loan from SpaceX and and fund a new round in Tesla all by himself. And so it was sort of is genius because Even in the middle of 2008, the greed of all the venture capitalists got the better of them. And nobody wanted to miss out on this round and be left behind. And so even though Elon possibly could have raised the money, but probably not, um, the VCs all jump in. And so they fund one more round of Tesla. It gets its car going. Finally, after all these years of delays, it's making sales. And then SpaceX's last and final rocket launch is a success. And that triggers this enormous NASA Contract and so like in the middle of all this Elon's having nightmares, you know I talked to his second wife to Lula Riley He used to just wake up screaming in the middle of the night and be like climbing up her chasing after something and and then Like literally on kind of Christmas Day all this stuff gets sorted out and and the rest is history
4: Wow quite impressive uh, angel, Some <laughs> angels on his side bluffing down the, the Silicon Valley VCs. There's another dramatic moment where Tesla's about to be acquired by Google
2: Yeah you know, so the Model S had come out. And I think it was it was all even from the very early days. It, it was doing much better, I think, than, than most people had thought. It was receiving pretty good reviews from Detroit, from the auto press, I should say, which had tended to sort of hate Tesla more or less. And and, and so it was doing well. The sales are going along OK. This happens for about a quarter. And then there's this weird moment where people are reading the reviews about the car online on these forums. And people are talking about glitches in the car. And so even fans of the company and and customers that wanted to buy the car are doing the thing where they say, I'm going to put off my purchase till they work all these kinks out. And so everybody's kind of delaying things. And this creates a huge problem where. You know, the Tesla factory is just idle and and they're chewing through money at this really alarming rate. And, and even though this car after all these years is kind of a success, it's all about to get undone because they're going to go bankrupt. And so Elon's very close with Larry Page and Sergey Brin. And he kind of makes this desperation phone call. And and they're getting really close to Elon. You know, they say it's like a handshake deal where Google has has agreed to acquire Tesla for
4: about six billion dollars.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, in the background, Elon had been going into the factory and. He'd been yelling at everybody to, you know, if you were an engineer, if you were the guy who installed the tires on the car, whatever you did, you had to get on the phone and try and sell this car because they had this huge list of all these people who were interested in it. And it's remarkable. I mean, like in this two week. Period. You can go back and look at the reports that they're making at the time. They sell this incredible number of cars. <laughs> and it, it, that, that was the first quarter where they, they exceeded their public forecast, where they turned a profit, and the day is saved. And, and Elon tells them to leave it alone.
0: I want to drive my car. You're listening to a Climate One conversation with Elon Musk biographer Ashley Vance. You can subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org. Greg Dalton will continue his conversation in just a moment. I want to drive my car. We continue now with Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking to Bloomberg Business Week reporter Ashley Vance, author of Elon Musk, how the billionaire and CEO of SpaceX and Tesla is shaping our future. Here's Greg. Elon Musk doesn't think
4: like most CEOs. We have a video of Jim Cramer, bombastic (laughs) host of CNBC's Mad Money, on how Wall Street analysts should make sense of Musk's wild ambitions. Let's listen.
5: If you're an analyst, I think the only way to handle an Elon Musk conference call is to take some mind-altering drugs. So you can really tune in and turn on the whole psychedelic story. I honestly don't know what else to say. No matter what you ask, no matter what you do, the answer is going to be something that blows your mind. And you really don't want to approach Tesla with the stone-cold, sober nature that rigor demands. Because I think you'll just look like a total dope. Musk is just that good.
4: That's Mad Money's Jim Cramer. Uh, so, Ashley Vance, you've gotten as close to anyone who hasn't uh, who's on the outside, who isn't uh, kind of in the Musk uh, inner world under
2: a cone of silence. What makes him so exceptional? Well, doing the book and you're talking about sort of getting close to. I mean, there were there were these it was this process where it was not happy. Elon all the time. And, and I was I was kind of going through. What, a lot of the stuff that I was reporting on, I could see firsthand the way he can sort of be kind to people and then very hard on people and his, and just,
4: his weight. And yeah, he and carries himself. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And, and his weight
4: fluctuates wildly.
2: <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was just it was the I would say he is the most intense human being that I've ever met. That was clear to me. I mean, at, at Business Week, The New York Times, I've written about just about every CEO in Silicon Valley and yeah, you know, it's not just like a type a personality. It's 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 which there's lots of there's there's <laughs> some other level to him where he's he's almost possessed. I mean, I, I think people hear about him saying he wants to create a colony on Mars. And I think um, some people think this is kind of silly or or they sort of have a hard time just wrapping their head around why would this guy want to do this thing, this is all this is all just BS. He's just trying to sell, you know, it's just BS, right? It's just making money off
4: his rocket company. Right.
2: But but this is absolutely like his goal in life is to make this colony on Mars. And like every single thing about his life, including Tesla to some degree, is 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 in pursuit of this goal. This is a guy who decided about 20 years ago that this is what he was going to do and that he's also, he's very driven, he's very logical. And so in his head, once he flipped this switch, that this is what he's going to do, basically every moment that he is not pursuing that goal <laughs> at, at kind of maximum force is just wasted time. I mean, he, he's like the most logical person I've ever met as well. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a one or a zero. And for him, this is what he's going to do. And tell me about
4: his climate passion. He's very passionate about getting away from fossil fuels. This is climate one. That's part of it. Uh, uh, So where does that come from? And and how did you encounter that in writing about Elon Musk?
2: He he just has the strangest form of empathy, I think, of of anyone that that I've met as well. The uh, you know, there's people who worked for him for like 12 years and he might know nothing about their family. He certainly doesn't care what their mood is that day. Um, you know, he, he just doesn't care about any of those details. We, I spent many, many, many hours with him. He never once asked me, like, do I have a family? Do I? He never asked me, like, a single single question about me. So he's not really interested in individual people. But when we would talk about Mars, when we would talk about the climate, there were at least three or four times where he, he like, was literally in tears and and you know it's this very strange like empathy for the human species and and it's part of this logical mind of his i mean i think he identifies that there's a problem and it needs to be solved and other people aren't doing that much about it and so he's like why would you not go pursue this it's it's the same thing it is the same thing with mars i mean um you know part of it is like an escape plan The climate goes horribly wrong on Earth. But the other part of it is just this thing. It's like, you know, the human species may be wiped out. Why isn't, you know, if you can do something about that, you should. Nobody else seems to be doing it. I'm I'm going to do it. But he really would just break down in tears when he would talk about these things. This is like what he actually cares about.
4: Before we go to the next segment, I want to talk about the Trump chapter. Famously, Elon Musk was on President Trump's uh, council. He left at when President Trump uh, exited, uh, announced his intention to exit from the Paris Climate Agreement. So what insight do you have? on Trump and Musk. You know, Trump famously doesn't have the ability to reflect, show remorse. Do you see that in in in, uh, in Musk, the ability to reflect and take
2: accountability,
4: responsibility for things?
2: I mean there's certainly like bits and pieces of them <coughs> that are clearly very similar. You know, I mean the the, the you look at like Elon's Twitter account, uh, this is like his his megaphone the same way Trump uses his Twitter account to be to be a megaphone. I mean they're both there's certainly like a sort of huckster P.T. Barnum side of Elon, where he's always kind of promising the world. Everything's going to be great and bigger and, and faster. And, and, and you see all that. I mean, the a bit of the narcissism, the 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 fear of critique. And, and you, you see those parallels as well. I find I've never met Trump in person. I mean, to me, Elon certainly has these things running through him. To me, he's a much more rational. Um, when you when you sit and talk with him, he actually comes off as very authentic, almost down to earth, you know, and, and genuine. And these are not things that I've ever seen Trump seem to seem to project. And, and that you know, I give Elon credit. I mean, he he did not come from a family that was nearly as well to do as, as Trump's, and and did come here with like a hundred bucks in his pocket, and is for all intents and purposes, I mean, he's a self-made. Man, and so I, you know, I I sort of draw the line there as well
4: trying to do a lot of things for humanity I'm Greg Dalton and we're talking about Elon Musk and Tesla the maker of luxury automobiles is facing a make-or-break moment With the first deliveries of its Model 3 a sedan priced less than $40,000 Musk said the company can produce 20,000 Model 3s a month starting in December 2017 the future of the company, and in some respects, the electrification of the global auto industry is riding on Musk's ability to deliver on the promise of an electric car with a reasonable price. Our guests are Ashley Vance, biographer of Elon Musk and reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek. We're joined now by Peter Henderson, West Coast Deputy Bureau Chief of Thomson Reuters, where he spearheads Silicon Valley coverage of autonomous cars and broader technology stories. Please welcome him to Climate One. Thank you. So Peter, welcome. Uh, this is a make-or-break moment uh, for Tesla, a big moment for the automobile industry. So what's at stake with the Model 3? this $35,000 or so car? I've been hearing about what hundreds of thousands of people put a reservation down. What's at stake with the Model three?
3: Well, as I actually said, uh, if you think about it from Musk's point of view, where he's trying to change the world, then it's uh, it's important because he has uh, these luxury cars that have been doing well. And now he's taking that first step towards a mass market vehicle. Thirty five thousand dollars is about the average price of a car in America now. So if he's successful, you'll be getting uh, average people going on this ride, which he thinks will take you to a clean future. From a business perspective, it's a huge deal because Tesla sold about 230,000 cars so far. Next year, it plans to sell twice as much of that uh, 500,000. So uh, I think production in one year will go up like sixfold, uh, he expects. Um, he's said himself that one kind of key question is whether he can get new people to buy and not think that they're uh, uh, getting a better version of the luxury car. Uh, So he's a bit worried about cannibalization. He needs to bring new people in, not get the old people uh, buying uh, the new, cheaper car. And what record does Musk have in terms of his actual projections?
4: He makes lots of projections. What's his batting average, Peter Henderson, in terms of actually delivering on the, uh, the numbers? Because he's a bit of a master at, at uh, announcing a couple of shiny objects. And just as the the first shiny object is supposed to be delivered, he announces shiny object number three
3: and four to kind of get our attention. Well, I think it's a pretty poor record in terms of delivering exactly on time. Um, Last year in May, he said that they would uh, make as many as 200,000 Model 3s this year. So uh, if he does 20,000 in December with a few before that, it's a bit more than a tenth. Uh, and I think that's the type of thing that has a lot of investors and analysts worried about whether, uh, even if he can create a great car, that it's uh, kind of a going concern in his business, that he can get them out uh, with enough uh, volume to kind of pay back the enormous debts that they've built up so far.
2: Yeah, actually, actually mentions so that. Oh, does it really just, matter? Well, I was going to say on Bloomberg.com we actually have this awesome uh, living Elon Musk truth tracker where you can <laughs> you can see all of his projections for SpaceX and Tesla and the Hyperloop and and whatever and sort of where he's ended up. Um, does it matter if he hits the the targets this year or or? In some ways, yes, look, the Tesla has a lead over all these other car makers and, you know, the the quicker it can sort of knock out these cars, the closer it is to, to this sort of iPhone moment where they have the shiny object that everybody wants and, and the older incumbent companies are kind of struggling not only to match Tesla's uh, electric car maker, but to match, you know, the software inside of the car, which often gets Overlooked and is a huge problem. I think for the traditional automakers to match and and so if Tesla ever gets to these figures of doing hundreds Of thousands of cars a year. I mean it's it's done so much better in a lot of ways than than I ever would have actually thought mm-hmm. possible um, You know if, if they can get to that point and they can do that somewhere Profitably then you know Tesla will be the first new car company since 1925 that that survives and so that's a huge accomplishment and and in the background of all this we forget it now but but through almost all of Tesla's history the idea of making an electric car was still nuts and the the big automakers still wanted nothing to do with making electric cars. And so even the fact that Tesla's made it this far and we see now all the major automakers making electric cars, I mean, you know, its legacy is, is sort of there no matter how well the Model 3 does. So Peter Henderson, what has
4: been the impact on it competes in the luxury market? Audi, Porsche, BMW, Mercedes. Initially, they kind of looked at it as OK, this West Coast toy. But now are they getting serious about Tesla eating their lunch?
3: Well, they're all coming out with electric cars or, or hybrids. I mean, Volvo last week was saying that it won't be uh, uh, making any more pure internal combustion engine cars in the near future. Uh, I think the jury's still out on just how much they mean it, though. I mean, uh, uh, GM came out with the Bolt this year they beat tesla to market with a car that can do about the same 200 uh miles on one charge about the same price but you know they will have sold you know roughly 30,000 this year not much different than tesla will have sold you know just starting production in the middle of the year so um they've got the volt as well but but the big question is are you what kind of muscle are the uh the kind of more established car makers going to put behind selling those cars i think
4: and so peter anderson i know you, that you don't believe in long-term forecasts, but where what do you see well, ev sales are now what one or two percent of of cars sold less, in america less. have have a plug less than two percent where does the ev market go is it going to remain a coastal niche or is it going to be something that's broader
3: Well, I think that a lot of it is driven by regulation as well. I mean, California requires uh, automakers to make uh, uh, zero emission vehicles, which is mostly battery electrics. And there are about nine states, I think, that are following California's lead on that. And they're all coastal. So um, to the extent that over the next few years you see uh, regulators mandating it, that's gonna be uh, on the coast. And then you've got the bigger problems of, you know, what happens to gas prices, um, the kind of advantage that you had with $5 gas for uh, electric engines uh, has uh, has evaporated to a big extent. Uh, you've got, um, if you think about it, as red states instead of uh, coast versus middle, uh, Georgia uh, quit their um, subsidy for electric cars, and you know uh, electric car sales plummeted. So uh, I think there's a lot to be done where you get uh, buying across the United States. Electric cars
4: and Tesla, in particular, are seen as toys of coastal elites. We spoke on the phone with Alvaro Sanchez, an advocate with the Greenlining Institute, working to make EVs more accessible to low-income Americans. Let's listen.
5: My name is Alvaro Sanchez. I'm the director of environmental equity at the Greenlining Institute. Electric vehicles it's an exciting new form of transportation and increasing mobility for all people. Um, but a low or middle income, or even a, you know some high income people, purchasing a Tesla is completely unattainable. All of the effort has really been in getting early adopters into these technologies, which you know meant getting a lot of high income earners into this technology. So a lot of our incentive and rebate programs were targeted at those folks. But it's absolutely critical that these vehicles are eventually hitting all segments of the market in terms of our climate policy. We won't have the impact necessary to get to these really ambitious goals that we have to reduce greenhouse gases. To do that, all segments of our economy, particularly our transportation sector, has to be much cleaner. I'm not sure how soon we're going to see Teslas rolling around in, you know, some of the most uh, socioeconomically burdened neighborhoods in California. However, we are definitely starting to see uh, Nissan Leafs, Chevy Bolts in those neighborhoods communities of color and low-income communities are basically the most polluted communities. And now, most of our uh, emissions come from the transportation sector. If we were able to transition to a cleaner sector, we would be seeing reductions in the levels of pollution that these communities are exposed to on a daily basis.
4: That was Alvaro Sanchez with the Greenlining Institute. So, Ashley Vance, uh, does Tesla? We heard that Tesla uh, was benefited by subsidies aimed at people with wealthy early adopters. Will Tesla reach uh, communities of color, lower income communities, or will will yeah will it reach that market?
2: Well, I mean, when I look at what's going on, you look at China's interest in electric cars. You look at India's interest in electric cars. You see how cool the Tesla brand has become. I mean, that is what is driving almost all of this interest in these vehicles and so you know i think it's a long road ahead i don't think we're going to see you know teslas in all these different neighborhoods um in the next couple of years but but to me the the push to electric cars is there and it's almost inevitable i mean especially when you look at what is happening with all the the software in the cars self-driving cars coming there there are serious advantages once the car becomes a computer to having it electric as opposed to on an internal combustion engine and so at some point you know you're going to buy a new car and you're either buying the past or you're buying the future that is exciting and gets updated all the time and and i just think that the electric cars win in that case
4: and there's some projections that electric cars will be cheaper to buy within the next 10 years and the key to that peter henderson is battery prices battery prices have come down so tell us about the gigafactory where it
3: is and, and our you know the, where you see battery prices going because that's the key well, the Gigafactory uh, is the big battery factory in Nevada, uh, near Reno, and uh, Tesla's already building uh, batteries that uh, are just basically to uh, to help if there's an earthquake, keep the, the, the home going. Uh, and they will be building the batteries for the Model 3 there. The key is whether they can keep on driving down prices, as you say. And I think that the thing you want to keep in mind is that gas prices go up and down a lot, too. The internal combustion engine is being pushed and pushed to get more efficient, uh, um, partly because the federal government's trying to do that here and and in China as well. So I think. Um, you know the idea of uh, a clean electric engine with no emissions is very uh, enticing, um, but uh, the internal combustion engine has been around for a while and it's being pushed uh, to get a lot better. So I think I think you just have to be careful before you say uh, the electric car is going to kill the internal combustion engine. That's been predicted a lot of times before.
0: You're listening to a Climate One conversation with technology reporter Peter Henderson and Elon Musk biographer Ashley Vance. You can check out our podcast at our website, climateone.org. Greg Dalton will be back with his guests in just a moment. You're listening to Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking with Ashley Vance, author of Elon Musk, how the billionaire and CEO of SpaceX and Tesla is shaping our future, and Peter Henderson, west coast deputy bureau chief of Thomson reuters here's your host greg dalton
4: i would like to talk about cars i mean a lot of people say tesla's not a car company as a technology company certainly the stock market values it that way <laughs> and that these cars really are technology platforms so uh, peter henderson tell us about that and, and the perhaps the relationship of apple getting in here you know tim cook has talked about uh, cars as the main primary artificial intelligence opportunity and challenge that these are much more than cars
3: yeah, well, I think the, the, there are two things there. First of all, just kind of making uh, the cars. I think Musk has said that uh, part of their secret sauce is to produce cars efficiently. That One really interesting question about the Model, C, uh, Model 3 is, is it going to be as easy to produce as he, as he said, that it was built to be made at a low cost, much like Intel prides itself on having these factories that can produce microchips just more efficiently than anyone else. So uh, that's part of the technology. And then what you're referencing is just kind of like, well, we've all been in, you know, regular cars. They are hardly what you'd call high tech affairs. Um, and especially as you get to autonomous, you could uh, expect to just be hanging out in your car, uh, watching a movie or what have you. Um, I think that kind of uh, uh, opportunity, kind of like the iPhone, didn't so much create a whole lot of new technology. It made technology that was there work. And I think that uh, the opportunity for cars is partly new technology, but just kind of getting a car that really looks slick inside, where all of the different... uh, the even the air conditioning and the entertainment is on one system together instead of like knobs all over the place where you just get in and uh, you have this kind of oh wow moment. There's a bit of that uh, getting into the yeah. model S Well,
2: I, I mean, I think the other thing, it, it, and Tesla was already sort of heading this direction and then it bought Solar City is that, hmm. you know, it, it, it is hard to value. I mean, I think of it a lot like Amazon, you've got Amazon competing against Walmart in the, the retail business where the margins are really thin. And then Amazon also happens to have this enormous cloud computing business where the, the margins are really good and Walmart has nothing. You know, there's no apples to apples thing. I mean, with City, Tesla is like half car company and half energy company. And um, now all this stuff plays together a little bit because you've got the one company making batteries for both. But it's very difficult. This, this is the same company that's it's putting, um, you know, solar panels on the roof, uh, these solar tiles. They're making these battery packs for <laughs> residences and, and for businesses to, to store all this extra energy. Uh, Tesla has, you know, the world's largest charging network now at this point. and And so it's a difficult thing to value. And then and then, I mean, I, I think a huge Part of the stock prices like that elon effect as well i mean you you have ford gm they're among the world's biggest advertisers tesla has never spent a penny on advertising elon just gets on his twitter account and, <laughs> and sends something out and i mean i've seen it firsthand I, I will go to a ford event and there will be about a hundred people there i've been to a tesla event in los angeles and there are thousands. Of People waiting to get into this thing when Elon comes out It's like Bono has come on stage and <laughs> all these these nerds have their you know smartphones up taking pictures of this guy I mean, It's like it's a hard thing to value and it's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around
3: You know there's one other saying. technology question, which is uh, are we moving from? cars that you buy to, uh, mobility as a service. I think it was Morgan Stanley that was, uh, just put out a a note, a third of their value of their valuation of Tesla approximately is ascribed to, uh, Tesla mobility, the Tesla network, which doesn't exist yet. Uh, which would be a kind of Uber of Tesla so that if You, Greg, own a car, uh, a Tesla, and we're buddies. Then uh, you drive to work and I just say, "Okay, can I use it for a while? And
4: hell,
1: no,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm moving off stage. But when you when you think about that point, it's really interesting, right? Because we've got autonomous cars. You've got stuff like Uber where you can order these things. I mean, Tesla is really the only company that is in the middle of all this that actually manufactures cars that is technology-savvy and that has the autonomous driving part. I mean, Google has this enormous problem where they have some of the best autonomous driving technology, but they have no cars to put it in. (laughs) And, And Uber is in this great position where they dominate, you know, the the get a ride business, but they are behind on the the self-driving and they have no cars. And then and then the traditional automakers are way behind on on the technology and sort of being part uh, And
4: apples in there somewhere. Right.
2: But the Tesla is like, you know, they are the one. So when like Morgan Stanley, I mean, they get ridiculed a lot of the time for these really bullish things on Tesla, but you could see a future where if Tesla was the first company to get this right, I mean, and you could just order a self-driving car, you know, Uber would be gone overnight and, and the automakers would be in a lot of trouble.
4: We're talking about the future of mobility with Tesla with Ashley Vance and Peter Henderson. I'm Greg Dalton. Let's go to our audience questions. Welcome to Climate One.
5: I'm John Thomas from the Mad Hedge Fund Trader. I come to you straight from Cape Canaveral. I watched a Falcon 9 not take off. <laughs> Got delayed three times However, standing next to a 50-foot tank of hydrogen in a lightning storm is exciting. <laughs> um, I've been following Tesla for about 12 years now. been recommending it to my clients since it was $16.50. Uh, I bought it after it dumped from the IPO 45%. Since then, I've been fighting a nonstop battle with Wall Street, that this thing is a liberal conspiracy, (laughs) uh, is a cult, is a rich man's toy, uh, exists purely to harvest government subsidies. Uh, My big question is, uh, when will Tesla actually make real money on a non accounting trick basis?
2: Wow, wouldn't we all like to know. (laughs) They've lost a couple billion dollars so far. They lose (laughs) money on each car. I mean, Ashley Vance. Well, the Model 3 has to be profitable. It looks like it's not going to be out of the gate and that they have to get to, to volume in order for it to be profitable. I mean, it's very it becomes difficult to see how Tesla is a going concern. If they cannot make the Model 3 profitable, they have enormous problems. You could see in a worst case scenario, somebody coming in to acquire them or or something like that. But um, but that's it. And then if the if the Model 3 does well and they and they keep selling model, I don't even think they have to sell the Model S and the Model X at the same rate that they are now, but they they can still sort of keep selling those. I mean, Tesla is going to make a lot of short sellers, you know, very, very sad.
3: And a lot of that he gets learned. to your point earlier about the batteries, you know, whether the Gigafactory can start kicking out uh, those battery packs at a uh, low cost and really efficiently. They just uh, had some trouble the last quarter with the, the battery packs uh, for the S, get, uh, um, and so if they can do that, that will be a huge part of it.
1: Next question. Hi, thanks for the opportunity to be here and to listen to you. You have uh, many insights on on Tesla. Moving the focus off Tesla, though, we see every major car company is making some sort of a bet on electric, some at the high-end vehicles, some at the low-end, some at both the high-end and the low-end, like BMW that has the i3 and the i8. Um, Significant announcement just in the last few days. Volvo, Geely Motors, Chinese company, on's Volvo now. Volvo announces it's making uh, not just a bet on electric, but it sees the future as being all-electric. So question, does this, in a way, it validates, it validates Tesla's bet and creates opportunity, creates more momentum be behind electric. China, it's hard to see how they fulfill their, go, their air quality goals unless they move to electric vehicles in a very, very big way, and we're already seeing that first step. Thank you. So Volvo relatively small player, but placing a big bet on electrics.
3: Peter Anderson. Well, I will say that China, you know, is ahead of the US in terms of production of uh, electric vehicles. So you just uh, and they've got a lot of companies coming together for that matter. Clearly, Tesla wants to uh, make its cars there as well. So um, uh, you certainly should not think of the US the clear leader on this, despite uh, Tesla. Um, As for Volvo, I think one thing you might want to keep in mind is they promise to go all electric and hybrid. And that's a big, you know, uh, if you include hybrid in the mix, you've basically got internal combustion with uh, um, a battery on the side. So directionally, uh, it definitely seems like they're heading that way. But I think they've got a big kind of caveat with that uh, hybrid side. Let's go to our next question. Welcome. Good evening, thank you. Marianne Purcell, and I have a question related to the promotional paragraph for this evening on the uh, website. And it mentioned um, working conditions in the factories at Tesla, and the health and safety violations which have been reported in the press, and the 12-hour workdays. And I'd be interested in comments either of you have about um, conditions for the workers actually building these cars. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, clearly there were a lot of uh, violations I think in the last couple of years uh, um, and then Tesla says that this year they've had uh, a much better record. Um, I think a question which will be really important for whether just how well they do is as they ramp up uh, the Model 3 production, they're just going to be having a completely new factory. They're going to have thousands more people. So whatever they've done in the past, it's going to be a new ball game, lots more pressure. And uh, I mean, hopefully for the sake of everyone, whatever they've uh, seen so far, they've uh, tweaked for the rules for this next big endeavor.
4: But Peter Henderson, is there a precedent for a company multiplying by 6x the number of units that they produce? I mean, that's an incredible amount, if not unprecedented amount, of ramping and scaling. Scaling is hard. We all know it's uh, possible to be a boutique versus a mass manufacturer. And that's what the guys sitting back in Detroit say. Yeah, it's easy to make a few of these things and try making a few million.
3: I don't think any car maker has done it for uh, decades, if ever. I mean, that kind of ramp six times—that is huge. But you know,
2: well, they said you know SpaceX was impossible as well. I mean, if this guy has proven anything, it's it's that he will eventually sort of follow through on, on what he says. It's just, it will probably take longer than it always seemed. You know, it always takes longer than he says.
4: Let's go to our next question. Well, good evening. My name is Bernard Arias.
0: The basic building, some of the basic building blocks for batteries are rare earths. Can you comment on the environmental um, impact of mass production
4: of batteries as compared to, say, carbon emission? I get this, as an EV owner, I get this question a lot. What about the batteries? I mean,
2: this is not my field of expertise there are people who have done all these breakdown studies on on what's the cost of getting a Tesla versus uh internal combustion engine car there's no really spectacular answer I mean obviously there is there is a cost to getting these cars just like there is to to burning gas ultimately you know electric cars are so much more efficient um you sort of have to think about what we're striving for and it's like if you're if you're Building for the future, Uh, you know, an electric car makes so much more sense. 50, 100 years from now, where you have some centralized production of, of energy, maybe a fantastic nuclear reactor and and, you know, the environmental cost, I think, would just be so much lower than internal combustion engine at that point. And battery technology is changing all the time, but it's not the strongest part of the story, I don't think.
4: And uh, still to be seen, uh, as we wrap up, I want to ask each of you, uh, uh, Reuters and Bloomberg compete uh, vigorously in the marketplace for for news. (laughs) I want to ask you, uh, what do we not know about Tesla that you would like to know? What's the story you'd like
3: to get on Tesla? Peter Anderson? One thing I'd like to know is... We haven't really talked much about what a showman uh, he is. Uh, I just wonder kind of how aware he is of that and how much he, I mean, he seems to be hyper aware of um, how he presents things of kind of dangling, as you were saying, and then uh, uh, if it's not working, dangling something else. I just like, to, uh, and yet he comes across as this geeky uh, guy who is not pretentious. So, well, maybe I'll just uh, ask you since uh, well,
2: you're in the room. We talked about that a little bit. I mean, you know, th- there's the part that you're talking about where, where sometimes something's going wrong and he does this misdirection. You know, it's, it's like something's going wrong at Tesla, but hey, I just made, you know, a Hyperloop. Why don't you guys think about this for a little <laughs> while and, and spend a couple of news cycles on that? I think that is, is very. Um,
0: Sounds like very, Trump
2: is very calculated and, and he knows what he's doing. But the the presentation style, I mean, you know, Steve Jobs would rehearse his presentations for for days and, and weeks. I, I mean, Elon, you know, he will just walk on stage and half the time not even know what kind of what he's what he's talking about. I mean, there's just sort of the object and he starts riffing and and, you know he used to be horrible at presentations now it sort of comes off like you said as this geeky you've got this this physicist who's like up here explaining this thing to you with enthusiasm and it comes off as very authentic um but but there's no way that this is structured like an apple structure something or 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 like a steve jobs structure something i mean he he wings it to a large degree and it's not as good as steve jobs but it's it's effective
0: Greg Dalton has been talking with Bloomberg Businessweek reporter Ashley Vance, author of Elon Musk, How the Billionaire and CEO of SpaceX and Tesla is Shaping Our Future, and journalist Peter Henderson, West Coast Deputy Bureau Chief of Thomson Reuters. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. Please join us next time for another conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment.
4: Climate One is the special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Jane Ann Chen is the producer. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel is our booker and associate producer. The audio engineer is William Bloom. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich are the editors. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is presented in association with KQED Public Radio.